song, that song is part of our lesson this morning, as you'll find out in a little bit. We've been studying in First Peter. Want to turn there a moment and read a couple of verses with us? First Peter 1, 2, 3, and 4. started reading in Peter a while back and decided to teach in this book because it's so rich and a fellas that wrote it so famous still still very very famous in this world to some people that don't know anything about him he's still famous still very very famous there's big cathedrals and and uh, places named after him St. Peter's this and St. Peter's Basilica and St. Peter's Courtyard and St. Peter's Bones are all over the world. There's enough bones to make an army of men. And there's uh, enough woods, pieces of St. Peter's chair spread out throughout the world. You'd think there was a forest. But this guy is very, very popular, and yet he's very little known. And that's why we're beginning to read and see what he's teaching. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you and that's our verse for today verse 4 let's bow our heads father we thank thee this morning for the liberty in our country the ability that thou hast given us to publicly read thy word to have a place to worship to have people who have an interest in our lord jesus christ the interest is so small in this world. It's great in religion, but it's small in regard to wanting to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we want to thank you for him, our substitute, our Savior, our Redeemer, our hope in this life and in the life to come. And we pray that his name will be lifted up again this morning. We ask in the name of our precious Lord. Amen. We had a great lesson last week, and I thought the week before that, too, talking about his abundant mercy and the fact that the hope in, of not only the apostles, Peter, but everyone has been begotten again or been born again within the person because of the resurrection. Now, this doesn't mean that the begotten again there's so many times it's used in the scripture concerning a new birth that's this isn't the new birth but it it's the hope being reborn in these people and us too because of the resurrection no resurrection no hope paul states that that's facts no resurrection no hope we'd have a dead a dead redeemer who wouldn't redeem because he hadn't risen but he did and this is what's so great about it now to an inheritance incorruptible. Let's see what we got on that today. The 
sounds like this would be kind of refreshing and, and easygoing, having an inheritance. To an inheritance on earth, we have a purchase of the inheritance. And in heaven, an inheritance of the purchase. Let's look at Luke 12.32. Luke 12.32. This has something to do with God's good pleasure in giving us something. It says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not very many of us consider or think about the kingdom enough. I know when we're coming to Christ or when we have our first awakenings of things, that these things are so vivid and so real to us that uh, it almost... Well, it don't drive us insane, but it it, uh, it changes your whole life. It changes your thoughts. It changes your ambitions. The fact that there is a kingdom, and here we see that it's God wants to give it to us, wants to give you the kingdom. And this means that if it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, then it's determined. It's determined from the beginning. It's concealed for a while, but it's possessed in due time. Now, some will argue that salvation is a free gift, and therefore you don't inherit anything. Well, inheritance is a family-related word. No one inherits salvation. That's exactly true. There is no inheriting salvation. And unless a person is saved, he or she is not in the family of God. Now let's look at Romans 8 and verses 16 and 17. Romans 8, 16 and 17. We should be able to recite this by memory. Now, this is a little explanation about heirs, and, and it'll also be an explanation for inheritance, because heirs are people who do the inheriting. Verse 16, the Spirit itself, let's read 15, 14, how about 14? Let's go back and catch the whole thing. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Now here's where this word inheritance gets its birth. You have to be an heir to have an inheritance. So you must be in the family of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. You mean we share with him? That's what it says. It's not my idea. I'd have never come up with anything as great as this. I'd have just been satisfied to sit at the back door of heaven and, and beg for a handout. But here the Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ who has everything. 
If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. It says heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Now, what do heirs receive? What they get from their father is called an inheritance. Sadly to say, children in my family don't inherit much. Not anything in earthly goods, I'll tell you that. They scratch and dig and all of our lives. But that's, that's part of the, our inheritance here on earth, is to have a dependence upon God. If we were well stocked and well taken care of and so rich and carefree that we didn't need, we'd never call upon God. So part of our inheritance here upon earth, not speaking of our heavenly inheritance, which we're going to speak about, is to be able to call upon him daily. You still don't work for it, even though it's an earthly inheritance. And, and you don't obtain it by works. You know, it's because you're a son in the family or you're a relative. Now, our right to the family of God was purchased by Christ, the only begotten Son, and the heir of all things. So where does it say that he's heir of all things? Turn to Hebrews 1 and look at verses 2 and 3 in the book of Hebrews. We read verse 1 also. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, used to always speak to us by the prophets, and we still have the prophetical word here, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at a right hand of the majesty on high. Now I, I just had gotten through telling you that our right to the family of God was purchased by Christ. And here it says he, in verse 2, he's the heir of all things. But now our right is by him purging our sins. You see, there's a payment. There was a penalty and a, well, a, a death due unto us. It was paid by the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God who took unto himself a human nature so that he could suffer in our place. That was the reason for it. But he's heir of all things. What am I talking about all things? I couldn't begin to list you all things. You want to start with a few? Let's say the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the earth. And all people. And all things. It goes beyond anything I can describe. He is the heir. And you know what we just read a few minutes ago? That we're joint heirs with him. He's going to divvy it up. We're going to have an inheritance whether you like it or not. You know what I mean by like it or not? I mean 
that whether you think you're capable of, of controlling or, or using an inheritance, you're going to. You're going to have the ability to do it. I've often said, I'm not a leader of nothing. I'm a follower. I don't want to rule. I don't want to reign anything. But if, if I have the ability and he gives it to me and says, get to it, boy, I'll do it. He says he purged our sins. Now let's turn to Ephesians 1 and look at verse 11. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will is because he willed that we would be redeemed and he would give us an inheritance. Another verse in the same chapter, verse 14. Well, we've got to read 13 too, I guess. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that after ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, if you're sealed, well, what, what does that mean? Well, it tells you in verse 14 what that means by being sealed. It says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. This is a down payment on our inheritance. It's so you know that the things are true and real. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, and, and Christ is the most important thing in your life and, and the scriptures are important in your life and, and praying for people and coming to worship. When these things are number one in your life, it's only because the Spirit makes them so. And this is to show you it's a pledge. It's a pledge of things to come in your inheritance, it says, it's a, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Well, is that a lot of big words that don't mean anything? It means this. When he finally calls you home and gives you your new body, then it's over. Right now, salvation is not complete. You don't have your new body. I don't have mine. But it will someday. Then we won't need just an, an earnest. We will know what our inheritance is. Well, we're going to look into inheritance a little bit more this morning. Notice this, though, when we're talking about inheritance again. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. It's always there. It's always there. Now, our inheritance consists of things promised. Promises are precious to God's people. Now, those in the Old Testament held promises dear. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11.8. In the Hebrews 11.8, we're going to find that people back there lived on promises just like we do. And Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, he also was looking for an inheritance. And look at verses 13, verse 13 there. Speaking of the saints in the Old Testament, these all died 
in faith, not having received the promises. And yet they had great faith, and they lived that faith. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So they lived for promises. Look at verse 9 there, in, in also in Hebrews. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. They live by promises. Do we live by promises? Well, look at Hebrews 8, 6. Just turn back a page, or two pages. In Hebrews 8, 6, it says this, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Well, how much better can promises get? Now, the promises that the Old Testament and, and Abraham and them looked for of such promises, there was a city. A city was in these promises. There was a city for the righteous. You know, it wasn't just to have a nice city with nice homes and a good police force and, and no crime. It was a city of righteous people. People that all thought the same and worshipped alike. You know, this thing in our country about uh, religious freedom. You know, every man, this country wasn't formed for religious freedom. This country was founded upon the principle of worship according to the scriptures. It was in, uh, it was in variance of the, the church in England and the Catholic church. Those that were false religions is the reason why some came here to, to worship. So because they say there's a freedom of religion in every type of false religion that this world knows of claims the very same thing for this country. This is freedom of religion. You're not free until you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Only free in him. But now look, Abraham. Abraham himself looked for a city. You want to read it? It's in Hebrews 11 and verse 10. Hebrews 11, verses 10, is the first scripture. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked for a city. Okay, look at verse 14 now. And we just read 13, these peoples that were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. All right, that's a little more than a city. Here they're looking for a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, the earth, their native country, they might have had opportunity to return. And sad to say, many people, once they have started a profession of Christianity and following the Lord Jesus Christ, go right back to their own country, right back to the world. But now, verse 16, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You say, well, I don't know too much about that city. 
Well, you know, the promises hold intact for you and me. We are promised a city. But God has gone further than what he did for Abraham. He has described that city to a T for us. And his promises are yea and amen in Christ. This one thing that God can't do, he can't lie. You know, people say, is there anything God can't? Yeah, he can't lie. And what he has told us in his word is going to come to pass. Now, I'm going. To, we're going to read about that city right now. I want you to turn to Revelation 21 and look at verses 2 and 3 to start with. First of all, verses 2, 3, and 4. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, no more tears. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now turn to verse 10. We're going to have us a description of the city, the new Jerusalem. Now, it says it's in heaven, and God has it prepared. You know, in the first verse of John 14, the Lord says to his disciples, because they knew he was going, they were feeling terrible. It finally had dawned in upon them that the end was coming. And in John 14, 1, he said, uh, well, let me read it so I don't mess it up. John 14, 1, said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, are many huts. No, didn't say huts. In my father's house are many ordinary homes, cottages. No, it don't say that either. It says something that goes beyond our imagination. You and me have probably never been in a mansion. A mansion is something that's out of sight for us. We can't comprehend us poor people living in a mansion. We think of, we see it on TV. We see these gorgeous, huge interiors of homes and staircases and just gorgeous, gorgeous looking. Our Lord says, hey, y'all going to have one. You don't have it here, but you're going to have one. I've, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, you know where these mansions are? They're in the New Jerusalem. And this is what we're going to read about this morning in Revelation 21.10. We're going to start. And he carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. You see, John saw it coming down and he saw the city. It's still there, but the Lord took him there and let him look at it to describe it to us. Verse 11, having the glory of God. And her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And had a great, and had a wall great and high. And had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. You think that the history of Israel isn't important to us? 
You see why it's preserved in God's Word? Because it carries right through to the end. It carries out through eternity. The twelve tribes of Israel are precious to God. He says they're my chosen people. They're always going to be remembered. The history of Israel, of Abraham being the father and the founder, and then a Jacob coming along and being the actual father of the twelve sons that make up the tribes of Israel. This is important history. But look at verse 13. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Oh, our New Testament's just as important as the old. You better believe it. Just as old, twelve apostles, twelve tribes. Isn't it interesting, isn't it? Twelve and twelve. Isn't it strange that the Bible doesn't mess up? God doesn't mess up. It doesn't happen to be nine apostles and twelve tribes, or eleven tribes and then twelve apostles. Uh-uh. Twelve and twelve, equal all the way through. God's word is always equal. And he talked with me, and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. He can measure everything. Measure the city, the gates, and the wall. And a city lieth four square, and a length is as large as its breadth. So it's square. And he measured the city with a reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and breadth and height of it are equal. Our little note in our Bible tells us that's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. 15 miles, length, breadth, and height, all the same. 1,500 miles of city. No city that is, that's yours and mine. Going to feel crowded in there? I don't know. I don't like city life. They're going to love it, though. You know why? Because Christ is going to be there. He's made us to be city dwellers. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and 4 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. 72 yards high. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. That's some kind of gold. You and me have never seen gold like that. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth a sardonyx, the sixth a sardis, the seventh a chrysolite, the eighth a beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysophras, and the eleventh a jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Now listen, twelve pearls. You want to see how big these gates are? And every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Now, we have some hunters and fishermen in our audience this morning, and I know what they're thinking. Boy, would I like to see that oyster. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Where do pearls come from? Well, God's going to make these pearls. He's going to make perfect pearls big enough for gates. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. 
For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, from this scripture, a lot of people say, oh, there's not going to be any more sun, moon, and stars. Yes, there are. There's still going to be people living upon earth, and they're still going to have the sun and moon and the stars. You know that? It says, in this city, there's no need of light. This city is going to be irradiated by the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's there. The Lamb is a light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. It's going to shine upon earth. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor to it. Now, where is this going to be? It's going to descend from heaven and it's going to come and sit right outside of earth just like the moon does. Probably closer. Probably much closer. It's going to sit right there as a memorial of the saving blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be people on earth. People are going to live on earth yet. This city is for a special people, redeemed in this age and in the age past. The same city that Abraham looked for is the same one. We're going to dwell and dwell with him. Abraham will be there. Might be your next door neighbor. Or he might be just down the street. But it doesn't make any difference. What we're interested in is Christ there. That's who we want to see. See, and it says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory to it. People will be living upon earth. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. This is a great verse coming up now, though. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. You know what that goes back to? Election. Amen. If God hadn't picked out every single one of his people before the foundations of the earth, and written their name in the Lamb's book of life, and then in time, when they were born, have angels come and watch over them from the moment they drew breath, watched over them, cared for them, there come the moment of time when through preaching or the reading of the word, when their hearts were quickened and they were made awakened to the fact that they were an immortal being, and that they did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there was a just sentence put upon them that their natures were defiled and they cared not for God. All these things are part of awakening and quickening. This is all part of God's plan and his doing in our lives. You would have never turned to Christ if he hadn't got a hold of your heart and turned you. It's because our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Beautiful. We just read about the city. You know everything about it. You're going to know. You're going to see it. And you're going to understand it. And God who can't lie put it in here to cheer your hearts on. The same way did Abraham's. He looked for that city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. We do too. But you know we're a lot closer to it than Abraham was. Awful lot closer. And then... It just doesn't end there. Look how great in Revelation 22, the next chapter, it goes on. The beauties of it. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. We have to buy our water in a bottle. We have to pay $3.80 or $4 for a jug of water to drink. Boy, 
Boy, doesn't this make you thirsty? Pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Verse 2, In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall, does it say, reign forever and ever? What kind of reigning is this? Well, I told you there's going to be people on earth. There's going to be plain people on earth he says we're going to reign I don't understand it there's things in this scripture that are absolute mystery to me but you know what it says I just said and they shall reign forever and ever now how do we enjoy such a place as this except that we're prepared and made over what could I enjoy there if I had to limp around or if I lost my glasses and couldn't see? If my basic nature began to complain and grumble, I'd be cast out. I have to look to the promises again. We are all to be fitted with new bodies. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. I know you're familiar with it. And we're going to look at verse 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. You know, this is one of the mysteries. It's still going to remain a mystery, no matter how many times we read it. How can we feature... A body been in the grave maybe hundreds of years or even several weeks or months or whatever, being raised incorruptible. But our Lord is going to create new perfect bodies with the same, I think, with the same resemblance of the other one, except it's a perfect body. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. You might have a healthy body or you might have a very sick body but it's going to be changed into an incorruptible body of flesh and bone. All right, now, if you want it to be just a little bit clearer, you're going to say, well, how can this be? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 will bring it just a little bit closer to home to you. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. All right, he says this, verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others that have no hope. You know, there's no hope in this world apart from being born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care who they are, how rich, how smart, how famous. It makes no difference. There is no hope for any individual who has never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's pretty dogmatic. But that's what preaching and what this Bible is all about. It says, warning men. Every man has a death sentence for eternity in hell against them except 
they come to know the one who died for sinners. The one who paid that price and God is satisfied with it. Otherwise, no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We even join the dead folk, those sleeping in Christ. We join them in the clouds before we ever see Christ. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Why did Paul write this? He said, comfort one another with these words. There's great hope and great comfort. Now, you know what this means? It means, Brother Red, no more wheelchair. It means, Miss Fanny, no more aching knees and pain if you just want to walk. Miss Audrey, it means no having to stay in bed because every joint is bound in pain. It means no more glasses for all of us over 40 years old. It means no more injuries or accidents. No more emergency exit at the hospital for us. Can you believe young, eternal, clean bodies with clean minds to love and serve the Lord forever? Well, can I describe what's to be for us? I don't think I can. Not to the full extent. For even Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. Let's have a peek over there. See what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. He says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, and neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He says, We really don't know. He says, Now we do know some things. See, he says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. If we didn't have the Spirit of God, we couldn't have even told you as much as we have this morning about some of these great things God has in store for us. Because the world doesn't believe it. Your next-door neighbor, the person across the street, or the one who you work for, the guys you work for or work with, they don't know what an inheritance in God is. They would never crack this book, and they wouldn't believe it if they read it. And even the aged apostle John says in 1 John 3, 2, he said, uh, let's see what he does say. 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. He says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He knows that much. And yet it doth not yet appear what we shall be. He's afraid to go out on a limb and tell you the glories of that resurrected body. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, that's the best part about it. The very best thing about is the fact that we shall be like him. Our time is just about out. Then there are some promises of things that we won't do. There's no more prayer because no more necessity. 
And neither shall we have to fast and weep and watch anymore because we're out of the way, out of the reach of sin and temptation. Preaching is finished. No more need. The work is finished. The unregenerate then are past hope. And the saints are past fear. We read in Revelation 21, 27, it says, There's nothing in the city of God that defiles. There's no such thing as grief and sorrow. There's no such thing as a pale face, as an aching body, feeble joints, helpless infancy. You know how helpless a baby is? <clears throat> Decrepit old age. Painful and lingering sicknesses. No griping fears or overwhelming cares. What do you mean overwhelming cares? I'm talking about the job. It's always on your mind. The house, the payments, the kids, the economy, the corruption in the government. We had our time of weeping while the world rejoiced in their pleasures. Our sorrow shall be turned to joy and our joy no man can take from us. And we will enjoy God. Our hearts will be ravished by his person and the glory of his person. Remember when we study in John 17, 24, he said, I want him to be with me to behold my glory. Just to behold the glory of Christ is an experience only for those who have experienced his lordship in this life. Only to those who have cried for his mercy and forgiveness will enter into these things we call an inheritance. There's a way to come to Christ. You come as a beggar. You've got to have a cry, and if you never have a cry, you're never going to be lost. A lost person cries. You cry for mercy for the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll answer you. He says, I'll in no wise cast you out. No wise will I refuse you. Any of you feel your need, cry unto him. Don't come to me or the pastor, anybody else. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that'll save. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning for thy mercy and grace. One more time, strength to deliver thy message. Strength to deliver to thy people, to ones whom thou hast wanted to hear. We ask that those who listen by tape will have had their hearts blessed. We pray for the service that will follow, that thou will bless us one more time. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.